I was 18, uh, I had my first car. Uh, I loved going in the fields and, and having, doing some slides and, and doing the fastest corner as possible. And I don't know why, but uh, it was like this. Uh, my, my goal was to be the fastest in the corner. And then after the finish, you know, the last time control and uh, in the harbor of or the port of, of Monaco, it's like, wow, okay, enjoy the podium the ceremony with, uh, you know, you are standing next to, next to Thierry, next to Roger, next to Elfe. Describe yourself, your character, your personality, but using only three words. A uh, straightforward guy. <laughs> Welcome to WRC Backstories, our exclusive World Rally Championship podcast presented by Bex Williams. Welcome everyone, it's time for another episode of WRC Backstories. Good to have you along. Before we head any further, I have to say big thanks to everyone for the feedback on the Michelle Mouton podcast, which kicked off series four for us. It's been amazing the respond to her story, her wonderful story, all of you picking out different aspects which fascinated you, which is the, the, the full intention really of this podcast to kind of raise a curtain on, on what does go on behind the scenes in people's lives. It's maybe not always as straightforward as everyone thinks, the, the dream to getting to the ultimate success in in rallying or whatever sport that uh, athletes and, and sports people choose there's always interesting tales whether they be you know joyful or stressful there is always a very intricate path which i think delivers us some of the best stories it's one of the reasons i chose sport as a as a career to report on to broadcast about because i i think people's stories of endeavor and, and trying to be the best that they can be is just so fascinating and and so positive ultimately people who are discovering their dreams through through sport in in whatever way shape or form that possesses is is a hugely exhilarating and i feel even for people who aren't into sport incredibly motivating just to listen to some of their stories so thank you very much for the feedback that was very long-winded of me Okay, let's move on, shall we, to this new episode of WRC Backstories. And this time, we're heading into the co-driving seat, catching up with a man who's been co-driving since the 90s and has had great success across his varied career, competing at home in Italy, competing in America and also on the world stage as well. Alex Gelsomino is our guest this time around. And of course... You mentioned the words Alex Gelsomino and Ken Block. They both go hand in hand. With over 130 events together, they were quite the duo through the mid-2000s right up until, of course, the start of this year when we tragically lost Ken. I've been desperate to talk to Alex for quite some time because I don't know a huge amount of his backstory. So I wanted to find out for myself and also catch up with him and chat about Ken and their relationship together over the years they spent in the car. So I'm going to stop waffling right now and let's hear from the man himself, Alex Gelsomino. I'm really delighted now that we can cross out to a country I didn't quite expect to be crossing out to, but I'm delighted all the same. We're heading to Australia because that is exactly where 
Alex Gelsomino is right now, enjoying the sunshine, and I'm a tad jealous. Alex, it's a delight to see you <laughs> on my screen. It's been a long time since we've actually caught up. So how are you doing? Hi, Bex. I'm doing great. Hello to you and to all the listeners of the podcast. Yeah, um, I'm here in Australia for a few days. It's great that we could catch up during this time. Yeah, the weather is beautiful outside and not quite the same back at home in Idaho in the U.S., you know, but I'm here for a few days here to, do, to take care of some work and, uh, um, yeah, looking forward to, to spend a few more days here, see the Reeves family and, uh, and uh, spend some time here with friends and family. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world to be spending time in. Alex, it's been a while since we've chatted and, you know, you're a busy man. Uh, as you mentioned, you're there for, for for a bit of business and we'll get to why you're in Australia a little bit later on. But being busy in the past few years, in the past, well, in the, in, in the time I've known you, which has got to be dating back now to 2005, 2006, when we kind of came into the sphere of, of meeting each other. It's been a busy old ride for you, which is, is has been fantastic for you to to really get to know or for us to really get to know you through the scope of WRC and the rallies you've been competing on in America. It's been a it's been a good 15, 20 years. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, what I call what I tell people it has been a dream come true because, you know, I was this, this young kid in Italy, you know, uh, reading rally magazines in class at school and getting in trouble for that and dreaming of one day making this my profession, you know. I, and my dreams were, weren't, you know, I only had a couple of goals to achieve. That's what I wanted to, to eventually do WRC events. I wanted to get to, to be part of a factory team once or twice in my career. So um to to achieve those dreams for this young boy from italy and eventually you know moving to the u.s and everything it's been a live highlight really incredible i'm sure uh, before we get into the um you know the where did it all come from with the rallying we have to kick off with with the classic question which you know really sums up everyone i think at the start of these podcasts and it catches a few people out, I have to say, and I'm always delighted to hear what words people describe themselves as. Using just three words, Mr. Gelsomino, how would you describe your character? Oh, that's, that's a tough one to begin uh, the, the, the chat. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very much an Italian that that has moved to America. So I started very much as an Italian character and personality, and you know me well. Yeah. And then when I moved to America, I was influenced by the culture and the way of doing things and the way of thinking of that country, of the Americans. So I am a bit of an end in my career. I ended up working with, you know, a lot of people from all over the world, you know, um, United Kingdom, Europe, you know, South America, Australia, New Zealand lately, you know, so... I, my my personality, my character is perhaps a mix, a mix, a combination of many um, characters and personalities and uh, and experiences that I've done over the world over the past twenty years or twenty five years of rallying. I think it, it's really fascinating, isn't it? What makes up someone, you know, depending on whatever they do in their lives. And as you say, you've you've had such a varied background because you started in one country, you moved to another, and you've taken up a sport which requires such such focus, such commitment, and it's still, in in some respects, a very niche thing to do. I mean, a lot of people when we talk about rallying and 
I was just coming back from Rally Mexico recently, sat next to a lovely lady on the plane who thought rallying was protesting. <laughs> she was like, what? So I, I, see, you protest for a living? <laughs> well, <laughs> professional protester, I wish. Um, but you know, I've been interested in, in some of the words that, you know, previous guests have used to describe themselves. Um, Michelle Mouton used, you know, determined and yet yeah, focused. Um, uh, Essa Pekalapi just said he was a, what did he call himself? I'm trying to think of the exact words he used now. Just something like real normal guy <laughs> is the words he <laughs> It's so difficult, though, to try and sum your character up, isn't it, in just three words? It is. It is a bit difficult because, again, this amazing sport that we are part of is also let's be honest, it's fairly complicated, you know? Mm -hmm. So you, as a, as a person, as a character, as a human being, you, uh, you, I guess you absorb a lot of things that this amazing sport gives to us. And uh, um, yeah, and then it becomes part of your personality and part of your life. And I don't want to say it becomes a bit confusing, but it becomes a, a, a combination of, things and a combination of experiences and uh, um, yeah it's, it's something that uh, uh, I, I I like to say I was it's funny let me explain this story a little bit yesterday and I don't know if this uh, clarifies a little bit um, what, what uh, an answer to your question yesterday I was at a small co coffee shop here in country town in called Bridgeport it's probably a thousand people and um, the gentleman that makes the coffee for me says, uh, you had a busy day. And in the morning, Rhiannon and I, we went to the accountant, take care of a few tax things here in Australia, did some little business. And I thought about his question. Have you had a busy day? And I said, no, I have not had a busy day. I've actually it's been pretty chilled. And uh, that's how my life is. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a lucky person. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have a, a lot of... Uh, uh, responsibilities or things like normal people do out there with kids taking them to sports and things like that so i i've been able to focus only so i said no it hasn't i was honest it hasn't been a busy morning i i, I just have had a very relaxing morning and he was a bit surprised caught by my my answer because that's not everyone answers it's oh it's been really busy taking the kids i went to melbourne take care of this and that no it's been pretty easy it's pretty easy <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll say something. They'll explain something. You know, but yeah. <laughs> you're definitely. You know, I would. I think you're quite a, a chilled character. There's a couple of reasons why I really wanted to talk to you for this podcast, um, Alex. One of them is I always enjoy talking to co-drivers, and and even you know back through the radio days, and now as you know while we're doing all live. The co-drivers never get enough coverage in my mind and it's a crew it's a team in the car you know it's a team effort um but you were sat alongside such a big character in ken block that there was so much focus on him um and not so much on you and you you're, you're a chill guy like you say you're really chilled out you're always cool in the seat uh, and you were never kind of pushing thrusting yourself into the limelight in in any kind of respect so i think people are going to be really interested in your story Second reason is, and I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but you've had a pretty big birthday. 
in the past couple of weeks. You've turned 50, the big 5-0. Congratulations. Yeah, I can't believe it. Thank you. I can't believe it came so quick. I can't believe it. Just <laughs> yesterday I was 27 and I don't understand what happened. Yeah, but I'm sure you still feel like we all do. You feel like 18 years of age in your head. And it's just like, how are these years disappearing away? It just, it's right. incredible. So now's the time then. Take me back to the young Alex. Where in Italy did you grow up? Where did, where did Alex Gelsomino start? I grew up in the town of the city, actually. It's over a million people, Palermo, Sicily, which is all at the farther southern part of the, of the peninsula, Italian peninsula. And the, uh, it's obviously a, a place in, in Italy, in the world, where rallying is actually quite big. You know, it's got a lot of following. You know, the Targa Florio used to be a huge event in the world endurance championship. Then it became a rally. Um, and then we had actually, I remember as a kid, there was such a comprehensive regional championship that then evolved into, you know, the national championship in Italy. We had Parma championship, we had gravel championship. So the region, the, the country of Italy, just like Spain, France, United Kingdom, um, they, they're big countries when it comes to, to our sport. Mm -hmm. So I, cars, you know, was something that I was infatuated since I was a young boy. And, uh, and then discovering this amazing form of motorsport was something that, and it was so close where I lived and uh, it was something that I started following and it was on TV and then you know I, I, I was a teenager with my little Vespa scooter I remember I, go, I used to go and watch rallies and hill climbs with my mates around the island of Sicily and it was very accessible uh, and then um, after that I realized that it was fairly easy for me to get into the sport because the sport was big where I was from. What color was the Vespa? The Vespa was white. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I needed to clarify that. I have an image in my head now of you in your white t-shirt and your jeans on the Vespa with your yes. sunglasses on. Very Gel cool Italian. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> so, oh my God. <laughs> so you're surrounded by, by rallying. You want to get into the sport, but do you feel like you could be a driver first? Is that what, did that appeal to you? Yes, I actually thought I was going to be a driver. And, um, you know, like any 14, 15 years old, what do we know? You know, so I was like, okay, you know, I will start in rally. I will start as a co-driver. And after a few events, I'll, I'll find a way to ask my dad to buy me a little rally car or something. And back in the early 90s, when I started, the one make series is from Opel, Peugeot, Renault. They were really popular and they were such a clever way to get into our sport because mm -hmm. you will buy the car. The dealership would sell you the, the kits, you know, the safety kits, you know, roll cages, seats, you know, and back then, obviously, the safety kits that were pretty basic. And the manufacturers were offering a lot of incentives and prizes and things like that in Italy. People like have done a career out of the one made series, people like uh, Paolo Andreucci, you know, he started yeah. from the Peugeot trophy, you know, Andrea Ghini. Those guys were guys that actually were starting when I was starting. And so it was, it was a, something that was possible. It was real. You could do something. Uh, so I, then I, I, I said, okay, I'll go talk to my dad. I did talk to my dad after two, three rallies. I did as a co-driver. My dad thought I was completely crazy. So I carried on as a co-driver because then I realized after I'd done two, three rallies, you know, this is actually quite easy, meaning I can get to compete and I don't have to have my own car. And I was progressing. And so 
mom and dad were getting, I was only like 18. Mom and dad were getting phone calls at home by drivers. Hey, is Alex available for this little wow. regional event next week? And there was no internet. There was no email or text. So they will <laughs> ring at home. It's incredible. <laughs> this is a difference nowadays, you know? So uh, uh, that's, that's how I got introduced into the sport. Um, because it was so popular and it was fairly easy. I was lucky it was easy to get into it where I was from. Yeah, I mean, that's that's quite an incredible story. So talk to me about your first experience. How did you get in the co-driving seat? Because it doesn't just, well, maybe in Italy with all of this going on around you, it does just happen. But for many people, it's like our previous guest, Michelle Mouton, was at a rock and roll dance, as she described to me, and she was asked if she would like to be a co-driver. And that's how she kind of started. How did you jump into the co-driving seat? The way I did was to go and spectate at events and realizing that there were a lot of actually teams in the area and actually in the, in the city where I was from that would um, manage rally operations for drivers. They were their customers, you know, they were shops slash teams. So those teams would organize um, co-driver courses, you know, and, uh, and one of the, the teams that was a big team in, in, in Palermo was the Scuderia Taneo. So I found out that they had this co-driver course and it was only literally 10 minutes from my house. And it was a night from uh, uh, 8 p.m. until 10 for several days, like uh, six or seven days. Then on a Sunday, they would put us in the rally car with a, a professional driver, all the students, they would go and uh, we would get tested. And that would be our introduction to, uh, to learn how to be a co-driver. Mm. And uh, so I did, I did just that. I was um, 18 years old. Um, and, uh, and then two, three months go by. And again, the phone rang from a driver that said, Oh, I got your name from the local team that said they had a, um, a co-driver course. And, uh, they said that you were among the top three and I would like to, to do an event or at least, you know, try you to do, start doing some recce, which was an easy way to discover if the, the relationship driver, co-driver will work. Uh, and that's how I did my first event. And from the rest, you know, it was uh, one after the other one. Obviously, I was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a student back then, so it was easier to sort of take the time off. Time off. Yes, my grades at school suffered from that time off, you know, but it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> well, how were you at school then? Were you a good student? I was You're not a good your head. student. <laughs> no? I was not a good student. My grades struggled. Uh, I was an in. And look, Bex, I want to explain to you that going to school in the in Italy in the mid early nineties, late eighties was. Uh, I just look at today, kids don't get any homework. You know what I mean? I remember we would get slammed with homework. I would go home and there would be six, seven hours of homework. I was like, I don't like this. I do not enjoy it. And and that and then again, the Italian mentality. My parents were like, oh, you need to go to school and you need to graduate and you need to get a degree in accounting because you'll end up getting a job, um, a government job, which is so common in Italy, for the post office, for the local bank, whatever, you know, and, and that, mm. that will be your future. And I was like, that, that, that does not sound right. That doesn't sound good. It's not what I want to do. But I carried on. I eventually got my, I barely got my degree in accounting and business administration. I mean, my dad had to put me to a private school because my grades were not good. I, uh, my mind was elsewhere. My mind was into rallying. I knew I loved the United States. I had come on holiday a couple of times here. I knew I wanted to move to the U.S. So uh, that's where my focus was, those two things, yeah. 
So there was, no, you know, even when you're in school, even maybe before, you know, rallying was around you or you were aware of it so much, was there anything that you thought, oh, this is what I want to be when I grow up or no? Well, uh, yes, it, it was. I wanted to be involved in motorsports, you know, like any young kid in their early teens, they want to be a race car driver. And, and back then I remember following Formula One a lot, you know, because it was the years of the, the Prost and the Ayrton Senna, the nostalgic, romantic years of Formula mm. One, the ones that I really loved. And I remember being in front of the TV and watching that Formula One races. And like, th those were, those were uh, uh, incredible years. And uh, I was like, I would love to be a Formula One driver. I would love to be a race car driver. Then I discovered a couple more years went by, I discovered rallying. I was like, oh, this is even more fun because it involves competing uh, in places that I love, mountains, you know, forests and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, it was a gradual um, evolution of what I wanted to be. Uh, but it involved, it always involved this car because I love the, the mechanical side. I love cars and the game, and emotion, just watching them on TV or watching them on a the side of the road as a kid that nothing else gave Alex, I think it's really interesting that you know, everything you're telling me there about you know, kind of the Italian way of life, the school, the homework. I remember masses of homework here as well. I've got to be honest. You, you, you said that and I'm a bit like, oh, I remember those days. It was the same no for me good. as well. It's, you know, oh, God, why? It does seem to be very different these days. So mm. you're in Italy until which point? And you mentioned America. You've been there a few times. But how did the shift to America come about? Well, I'm in Italy. I graduate from um, high school, you know, slash, you know, the first year or two of, uh, you know, uni. That's how it works there. But then I have to go to the to do the military because it used to be just like it is in Scandinavia. It's mandatory. I needed to go and do the military in Italy. It was mandatory. I, so if you are a, a fit person, you know, and, and you go you go through the uh, medical exam uh, okay, the Italian government wanted you to spend some time there, and that time was 12 months. So I'm not very happy because I know already I want to move to the United States. I already started uh, competing in Italy. I've done two, three years of rallying, but now I'm focusing. Okay, rallying is probably going to be a hobby. You know, it's going to stay a hobby. I, I, I don't want to do what I see people in their 20s doing in Italy. I'm talking at that moment, um, hoping for a job hoping that uh, there is some, you know, that you're going to get a job at the post office or the local government agency and carry on like that for the rest of your life. I wanted to do more than that. And I knew the U.S. at that point, late 80s, early 90s, it was such a, um, an opportunity to go there and, 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 and make a life of yourself. So yeah. I go and do the military and I'm not too happy about it because, oh, they're going to waste a year of my life. You know what I need? I really need to hit the road. Um, but I'll tell you what, that experience in the military was one of the best things I've ever done because it allows you to go from a, a, if you come from a boy to a man, you know, you see real life, you learn uh, discipline, you learn how to do things right, you know, you learn how to work because my mm -hmm. previous experience had only been school, right? So it was really my first job, even though they don't pay you for a year. So <laughs> anyway, great experience. And then I remember a week after I was done with the military, I was on a plane to America with, uh, you know, 1500 bucks and a bag of clothes, you know, and try to, to make a living, you know, try to, to make the American dream come true for me. So that's how my move to America started. And rally was a bit set aside because I was like, okay, 
I need to start, you know, I can't be a, an amateur co-driver for the rest of my life. I need to earn a living. So I, I need to focus on life. And that's a massive step to make, though, isn't it? That that takes a lot of bravery um, to, to do that, to take the shift away from home to the biggest country uh, with m- maybe the biggest opportunities. Um, but still, that's a huge thing to do at a young age. It is. It is. That's funny. I was with my, my father-in-law um, came to see me a few weeks ago in America, and we were talking about rallying, racing and everything. And, and he said to me, because, you know, obviously becoming a professional co-driver and then doing everything we've done in the last, like you said, 15, 20 years. He said to me, Alex, what's the biggest thing you've accomplished in your life? And he thought my answer was going to be, I don't know, winning rallies or mm. getting factory drives. And I said to him, no, the biggest thing I accomplished was moving to America and make a living, make a life out of that. So something is, is the highlight of my life and uh, something I'm very proud of. Yeah, you should be. You should be. So where exactly did you head to in America when you first moved there? I, funny story. I headed to Florida because oh, okay. I was working in the restaurant business. My first job was, and I was working at Disney World. No! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so don't I tell me were you, for... were, you, were you dressing up as mickey mouse were you pluto donald duck <laughs> but i was Damn. Mickey, mickey mouse was outside the restaurant you know entertaining people there the restaurant i was working at and uh, so i was there for several years i would say four or five years and then uh, for different reasons I, I didn't like i needed to again make something happen and florida was too flat i come from sicily and there is mountains and everything i was like I'm going to move to California because um, I like the mountains and I need to make opportunities happen. Florida is a bit too quiet. You go to Florida when you retire, not when you're 25 years old. So also I did find out that there was a very nice regional rally championship and I felt the need to get back into the sport. So at that point, I had not been in a rally car for three or four years since I moved to the U.S. and I was... Uh, Okay, I want to I wanna get back in a rally car. There is a little regional championship there, and it's Los Angeles. I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to have a business. I'm going to work for some people. Yeah, I need to make, I'm going to make a living out of this. Yeah, I can understand why LA is appealing <laughs> to a young man in his 20s, to anyone in their 20s. What were you doing at this restaurant? Were you like a, in a kind of, you know, a, a managerial organizational role? Were you cooking? Well, I'm imagining you with a chef's hat right now, so please tell me what it was. <laughs> I started in the kitchen as a help, but then my English progressed because you know the more you live there, the better your English becomes. It became, and uh, um, so I moved to the floor, and I was working the service, service, serving people at the, at the yeah. restaurant, and it was such a good job. Good money, heavy tips, and all that. I remember. Again, I'm in my mid-20s, and sometimes, you know, I have a good day serving people, and there is three, $400 in my pocket, you know, wow. from, from tip, you know, because Americans, they tip, and they tip heavily when they're on holiday, like, at least that's how it was in the mid-90s, mid-late 90s, so I was like, I like this, but again, it's not what I want to do, finally. it's good <laughs> money, but I need to make something happen, because I really would like to get back in a rally car. So you go to California, you go to L.A., um, I, I, you know, I think everyone listening now is already picturing you in this really swanky <laughs> house, maybe on the beach somewhere. Um, I'm sure you've got a very different story to tell. It's probably yeah. like a studio flat that you were in maybe or whatever. Yeah. 
and then you find a regional championship to compete in. How do you go about finding yourself a driver? Or does the Gelsomino dream of actually getting behind the wheel come back? Uh, what allowed me to get back then again, no social media, but there is something really cool, which is the internet forums, right? So, yeah. you know, pre-social media. So I introduced myself and what really allowed me to get in a car quickly is the experience I gathered by rallying for three or four years in Italy and doing what we were saying, the one-make series, which yeah. were places where you really, you cut your teeth, you know, you work really hard and compete, 20 cars compete for 10 second gap every stage. You know, it was really a lot of experience that I learned by competing in the Opel, Renault and, and, and Citroën um, Peugeot championships in Italy. So I get to this little regional championship in, in California and I all decided, I, even if I'm young, I have a lot of experience and I, I tell people, hey, I'm looking for a ride and that's the experience that I have. And, uh, and, and again, at that point, you know, I started getting inquiries and I started competing in the California championship and, uh, and I'm, I'm then progressing into the national championship, which back then used to be run by the SCCA, the sports car club of America. And I'm like, okay, you know what, that idea that I had six, seven years ago, hoping to become a professional co-driver, maybe I can still chase that. But at that point I am dealing with a full-time job that is paying the bills in an expensive place like Los Angeles. So I'm telling myself, I need time flexibility to go chase the dream of uh, becoming a professional rally car driver. So that idea became open a business. So I had a business um, partner that, you know, we had an import export business of car parts from, uh, from uh, China. And uh, that business partner at three small kids and he was always home. So I said, I made a deal with him. I said, okay, you'll earn 30 more percent than me wage every year, but I'll take 150 days off. So that time, that worked out really well. And that business lasted 10 years. That time flexibility allowed me to come, starting to compete consistently in the American championship, in the regional championships all over America, then starting to find rides. Um, for a couple of events overseas, improve my experience even more and start catching the first paid ride. So, and then now I need to start working more and in events and, and try to, again, uh, the mid 2000s, there were opportunities, you know, that unfortunately today we don't have as many. And I was, okay, I, I can make this happen. And, and again, that business lasted 10 years until I then became a full-time professional co-driver so it was a bit of an idea that i had and it worked out well i was in the right place at the right time that sounds great I mean, how long was it before as you mentioned you did start to get paid drives uh i look i started co-driving in italy in 93 took a few years back uh, a few years break when i moved to the u.s then I started again in 99 in the United States, and my first pay ride was in 2002. Mm. Uh, it was a part-time uh, paid ride. Obviously, I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't pay my rent with it, but there was the start. And once, yeah. as, a, as a young co-driver, we train a little co-driver. We say to them, once you get your foot into the professional side, even if it's just a small day wage, then from there on, it gets easier as far as getting paid. So, and then, so 20, 2002, first pay ride, then I turned completely 
professional co-driver in 2010. And that's when I sold my 50% of the business. It wasn't needed at that point. And mm. from there on, it was a matter of carrying on as a professional co-driver. Well, yeah, you were from 2010 onwards, it was one crazy ride of, yes, of constantly competing and, and doing all kinds of events. Um, what's interesting to me, though, because, you know, I, I've known you over the years and I know how much you put into your work, how professional you are. When you started co-driving, were you getting any advice from anyone? Who was teaching you how to co-drive, Alex? You're teaching a lot of people now. But who was teaching you how to, to do this art, which is co-driving? It's a great question, Bex. And uh, I would actually contact uh, professional co-drivers. And among those three were very important to develop my career. Phil Mills, Chris Patterson, and Yake Onkanen. And I, would, I contacted those three guys, for example, Phil. And I would tell Phil, can I come and see you in Wales for a couple of days? I will pay you. And I just want to do a one-to-one tuition and pick your brain and learn from you. I did the same thing with Chris Patterson, again, early 2000s. And then uh, towards the mid-2000s, I did it with Yaki Onkanen in Finland. So that's what I thought. The, uh, having a, a tuition directly with some of the best co-drivers in the world, like those three guys that I just mentioned, was something that really allowed me to understand and realize what the next level, the world championship level, the, the true professional level was. And, uh, and it's funny thing that, you know, then uh, now it's something that I do with other co-drivers, you know, all over the world and train them. And you know, it's part of our, our, our job as well is to train people. So, but I got that idea from what I did 15 years prior when I contacted those guys and I said, I want to train with you. Yeah, it's the same idea. That's a, but that's such a great thing to do. And again, I think that takes quite a, quite a lot of confidence, quite a lot, you know, quite a lot of balls to actually ring someone or yeah. contact someone and say, I want to come. I mean, I'm going to pay you, but I'm going to come to Wales. And Phil yeah. lives in deepest, darkest Wales as well. <laughs> you know, I'm going to come and find you and, and sit down with you for a few days. How helpful was that experience with these guys? It was critical. It was critical because it made me realize it made me realize the difference between the amateur level co-driving to the professional level. Those yeah. guys were really open with me and they showed me everything they knew, especially people like Phil. And Phil, training with Phil in Wales was interesting because it wasn't strictly co-driver uh, tuition, but it was also a bit of a mental tuition. Phil was co-driving for someone like uh, uh, Peter Solberg at that point. And uh, uh, he, he Phil, Phil taught me how to deal with a high profile, <clears throat> he explained to me what it takes to deal with a high profile driver like um, Petter, that was a, a rock star. <clears throat> so then at that moment, I was starting to work with, with Ken, which wasn't a high profile driver yet, but it was, you know, someone that had come from a very successful, you know, business uh, life and everything so it was someone that understood what being a professional means uh, and and uh, and he knew what what to ask from someone when he hired someone so there was uh, uh very important what phil taught me taught me and uh, and then uh, um yeah something that like you said it was a clever idea to do i did i actually when i did this experience with those three or i didn't say I didn't tell anyone in the in the rallying business. 
uh, I only started saying a few years ago because it was literally something that was a bit of an ace in my pocket. It, will, it allowed me to go from the amateur to the professional level. And like you said, it, it was a clever thing to do. Mm -hmm. I was I was glad and lucky they accepted, you know, to teach me. And uh, uh, but it's something that I never told anyone until a few years ago. Well, I I think it's a it's a brilliant thing to do, and you know it's it, it's it's an obvious thing to do in a way, but it's something that a lot of people just don't do. They don't think, oh well, I can go and ask this person and pay this person for advice, sit down with them and get their wealth of knowledge and experience. I think it's a brilliant thing to do. So well done for doing it. I think there's a lot more stories to come out of that. I think Phil is an interesting character because as a co-driver, I think that's all really he ever wanted to do. And if he wasn't co-driving, he would have been making maps because he was into cartography and how maps were made. And I could honestly listened to him talk for hours just about maps he was deeply deeply into it so I'm sure those few days with him were were really fantastic you mentioned the the name that was alongside you for so many years and so beloved Ken Block when did that start and from my research on you Mr Gelsomino it obviously it 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 somehow almost didn't start there was an offer put on the table for you to go and sit with him, but you had something else. Is that right? There was. It was at the beginning. In January 2005, I get a, I get a, a, a call from Vermont Sports Car, which runs the Subaru Rally team in North America. And they have now for like 20 plus years. And they told me they had this um, high profile customer that had just you know, retired, cannot solve, you know, these issues to Quicksilver. So it was a, a very young retirement, uh, late 30s, and he wanted to get into the sport. He, he came from the motocross background, the snowboarding background, and he wanted to under, to get into rally because he loved it. He saw, what he, he saw it as a, as a youngster on, you know, local you know, rally channels and, and TV channels here in North America. Uh, and they asked me if I am, I was already, again, a, a professional mm -hmm. at that point, a semi-pro. And they asked me, are you keen? This may be a, a long-term deal, but I had already made a deal to co-drive for someone. And um, it was a very good deal. You know, it was a paid deal and it was a person that I really got along well. It was a very nice car, open class Subaru, like a top group A car. Uh, but unfortunately that person ended up having some legal problems. Oh. So it was gone. It was gone. He ended up spending some time, you know, you know, away from from freedom, you know. So oh, oh no! When, yes, that's exactly what happened, you know. So anyway, anyway, I I get those news from the team. That customer is gone. It'll be gone for a few years. Um, and I call back Vermont Sports, kind of like uh, that opportunity, that ride that I had for 2005 is not available anymore. Are you guys still interested in having me in the car? And they said, yeah, yeah, however, we have a rally next week and we have booked a co-driver from Canada, I believe. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll let you know. Anyway, it didn't work out. And they and they contacted me the Monday after the rally and said, it didn't work out. Can you do the next rally? We'll do the same thing. We'll try you in the car. And if it works out, you'll carry on. We can. Uh, and I said, yeah, perfect. You know, rally was in Tennessee, Cherokee Trail Rally. We, had, we I went and did the rally, met this uh, driver and uh, um, and from there on, uh, yeah, was, I think uh, 135 consecutive events that we did together. And uh, yeah, an incredible progression over the years that everybody you know about. It. Yeah, so 
<laughs> I mean, it was Alex. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't say the words Ken Block without putting on Alex Gelsomino. It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's like the duo. What were your first impressions of him, though, when you met him? Because, you know, you'd obviously had a bit of, you know, he was a successful businessman. And then you know, I remember when I first met him, and I'll tell you what I thought of him when I first met him, but I'd, I'd like to know what your first thoughts were when you met him. Well, it was interesting because Ken was one of those characters that when you met him, if he didn't know you well and he didn't trust you, he would keep a distance. And he actually did, did that with me, his co-driver, for the first two, three events. He took two, three events for Ken to loosen up and started talking to me more and be more like the relationship driver, co-driver. Um, so that was on the human side. And on the driver's side, I, I remember doing the first test with him before the rally in Tennessee. And, and, I'm, just, and I'm realizing, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. He understands, you know, uh, weight transfer. He understands left foot braking. He understands precision, you know, uh, how to link corners and everything. I said to myself, this will be fun. This is not going to be one of those drivers, gentlemen drivers, that just want to do it, but they don't know what they're doing. This is going to be enjoyable. And mm. again, I started then figuring out more what was the background. And the background was this person which had founded one of the most uh, successful skate shoes, these shoes in the world from his, his garage. You know, he borrowed $10,000 from his parents, opened it, you know, uh, started this business from his garage with a business partner, then paid off his. And so it was a great story, but the story was awesome because. This guy was a genius when it came to the marketing side. And, and I did, again, a little bit more research and started to discover what he had done in the skate industry and the snowboarding industry the previous 10 years. Like, oh, he's, he's a genius. He's brilliant. I wonder if he's going to be able to do the same in the rallying industry. Yeah. And then their question was answered a few years later. And, you know, I keep getting answered now. But I was like, okay, this is not just a rally driver. This is someone that could really change and, and morph the sport into into something special. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And he, he did in, in his own inimitable way. It's interesting what you said there about, you know, you're, he was quite guarded with you because I remember that when I first met him at Rally Mexico, the first one he did, and Travis Pastrana was there as well. And they were a team within, it was Group N, the Subarus, yeah, Subarus. Um, God, I'm trying to remember back in my memory. And I remember think, seeing his name on the entry list, seeing your names on the entry list. Ken Block, what, a, what an unusual name. I'd never heard yeah. anyone with a surname Block before. Um, so I did a little bit of research on him and, and discovered all of this. And I went to meet him and I remember shaking, well, seeing him, first of all, in these long shorts, these big skate shoes, t-shirt, and he just, he backwards cap, and he looked as if he should be on a skateboard. And it was like, he's <laughs> completely the marketing for his for his own product here. And, and he was so guarded. And then later on, when we had him in, I think a press conference or an interview, and he started talking and this huge character just came out of him. And you're like, whoa, there he is. There he is. I can imagine. You know, the time you spent together, which, which we'll talk about, was incredible over the years because, you know, you two worked so, so well together. But so interesting at the start that he is fresh to the sport and you have this experience. You have your experience from home in Italy. And then you've done a few years in America, in the American Championship, and you've built up 
that experience and your knowledge of the events that then you were going to go on and do with Ken. So not only from the co-driving perspective, but just knowledge of how everything works. It's so intrinsic in a partnership. It is. It is really important. And when you have usually, when you have someone new to the sport, it's smart to put someone more experienced. Yeah. And we witnessed that actually last weekend, Rhiannon was co-driving for a young Indonesian driver. And then there is some, some sponsors behind and all that. And the sponsors are smart. They're like, okay, let's put someone next to him. There is experience. And that's what we did. We can. So the, the, um, the progression can be as, as trouble-free as possible. So, uh, and again, it's a complicated sport. You know that better than anyone else. It's not just jumping into a, a Formula 4 or a Formula 3 car, doing a few laps and just showcasing your talent. There is so much more than that involved. So when you have situations like the Ken situation 18 years ago, or this situation for this young Indonesian driver that we're working with, you realize that okay, you're doing. They're doing it right. They're doing it cleverly. That's how it needs to be done um, when there is a situation of very inexperienced driver or co-driver. Because if I am an experienced driver, I wouldn't mind having an inexperienced co-driver next to me and bring him up to speed and teach him things. Yeah. So you've done these first couple of events together with Ken, which are like the test events to see okay. if you gel and you mold together. Were you thinking in your mind? please let this gel, please let this mold because, you know, I want this to work out. Were you a little bit apprehensive? Did, did you feel it all worked very well from the start or were there some hiccups along the way? There were some hiccups along the way. They were due to my character, you know, and, and you know <laughs> me for a long time. Before I, before I met Rhiannon and Rhiannon and I have been together and married for 10 years, my character wasn't the best. You know what I mean? Very much Italian that has been, you know, um, molded that way. So, there were some uh, some things, in my opinion, that could have perhaps ruined that experience due to my character. My experience, I knew what to do in a rally car. I had the experience and everything. But one of the things that Ken was good at, and he kept being good for as long as I knew him, you know, and, and until he passed away, Ken was a very, very patient individual, mm-hmm. very patient to the people that were around him, the people that worked with him, and that he gave... He gave you two chances. He gave you three chances. Yeah, look, if you messed up on the third chance, you were out of the door. Uh, but it, that's what I learned from Ken. One of the things that I learned from Ken was patience. If things don't work out, find a way to make it work out. If you think that person is going to be good for your marketing, if that person is going to be good um, to, to uh, co-drive for you and all that, he was able to pinpoint if people were good to have around and work with within his team uh, and if it didn't quite work at first he was able to at some point make it work yeah that's it's definitely a strength that that he yeah. had he was you know from the outpouring after his death in january of all the people that he'd worked with which that's what i really like to see from from Instagram and things like that, the cameramen he'd worked with, he'd given opportunities to to come and work with him. And they were all saying how generous he'd been, how they just rocked up for maybe one gig and then they were there for 10 years <laughs> and they, they'd never yeah, left. That's right. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's really interesting. Your first WRC event with him then, Rally Mexico, which was, yeah. I, I think it became like a little love affair, didn't it, with, with Rally Mexico, that... Kenblock, Alex Gelsomino, Rally Mexico. What was that experience like, stepping up into WRC? Well, obviously, 
Rally Mexico was sort of considered our home event. We didn't have a round in, in, in the U.S. So, but as you know, because you were there just a couple of weeks ago, and it's, all, it's the toughest bastard event of the champion. It's so difficult. So we go into to Mexico the first couple of years. The first year was 2006. We just did the recce. It was a smart thing to do. Go to the recce in such a difficult event. 2007, we go and do the, the our first WRC event, WRC Mexico. Such an event. It'll just, it'll, it'll, everything wants to, you know, rocks want to jump at you. Stages are so long and difficult and challenging. But, but that was the best way. The best way to progress and learn was to go to Mexico, make mistakes, and learn. Just mm-hmm. like a few years later, the following year, the best way to learn was to uh, go to a tough championship like New Zealand championship, get our ass kicked, excuse my English, and then learn and come to America and start winning a win. That's the best. I, le- I come to learn in our sport. The going the hard way, that's the best way to learn and gaining experience and progressing and become a better driver and co-driver. So that's what happened with Mexico. It was a love-hate affair. It was tough on us the first year, but then it ended up becoming an event that we had the most knowledge and we ended up having our best result ever in WRC. It was pretty rewarding. Yeah. I mean, and then you're, you're thrown into the world with, with people, you know, and, and obviously Phil Mills, still competing then people that you'd reached out to people that you'd got in contact with to say you know hey can I have some advice and then all of a sudden you're rocking up then on the world stage and you're essentially competing alongside them I know it was you know it was group n back then it was slightly different but you're still there in amongst everyone were you still like a a bit of a sponge at that point were you still taking on board any advice you could get Yes, we needed to. We needed to because we, uh, I had competed a long time and Ken was fairly new and we still gained experience. We realized, that's when we realized the difference between national championship and world championship events where uh, it's just a different level. So we needed to learn. We needed to gain as much experience as possible. We were lucky that there was a period in rallying where Group N, production-based cars were still competing. And in my opinion, the Group N was a great way yeah. to do the step from national level into um, world championship or international level because they were still manageable. They were still um, uh, fairly easy to operate when it comes to budget and things like that. Nowadays, the sport is quite expensive, as you know. Uh, but Group N, is, I think it was, it was something that allowed us to progress and, and learn the WRC without being in a million dollar rally car that was really good and you were in an iconic car let's be honest yes correct yeah <laughs> and we are hey the dream one of the dreams that i had to be in a factory drive had been achieved we are competing with Subaru rally team usa so kicked one off the box <laughs> i was really happy it was a really happy time in my career and things were starting to get better monster energy comes on board you know and then uh, Subaru science can he's no longer a customer you know he's now a, a factory driver and then we do a few years like that a beautiful mm. time of our career before the, the before the four years so yeah. really enjoy that time you mentioned the new zealand championship because you were you went and did the new zealand championship that was what 2008 or was that 2007 uh, i can't remember it was 2008 seven, yes, yes. seven. Mm. And, and you're competing yeah. against the likes of hayden padden there correct you know who's yes. who's as you say you quite eloquently 
put, you were getting your ass kicked there. <laughs> but that's <laughs> but that's such a good training ground. Beautiful roads in New Zealand for one. So what a great place to go and compete. But it's humbling as well when when things maybe aren't quite going in that direction. You have to keep pushing yourselves. But then you come back to America and you're on another level again because you've been pushed so hard in New Zealand. Yes, we, we again struggle all year in New Zealand. At the very last round of the New Zealand Championship, the year we put it on the podium. It was quite rewarding because the start of the New Zealand Championship for us was very, very difficult. You know, like bad stage times, mistakes, and all that. But then the progression, and then we come to America and we start winning events consistently. Mm. So these things are very rewarding in our sport. They're difficult to achieve. The progression that makes you go into the next level next level we occasionally see it with some drivers in wrc and uh but it's very hard to achieve it's yeah. very easy to get stuck in the same speed and zero progression and that really can take the wind off your sails you know but that progression those couple of years was really what made ken fall in love with our sport even more and made him pursue or work on pursuing more sponsorship and and being associated with more corporate names that could uh, finance his rally yeah, and as we know, he was very successful at that. He was very innovative in, in trying to, to get work with sponsors. He had incredible ideas. Um, and you were much the same in that sense. You've come from a business side of things. You pushed things forward. It must have been a very, I can imagine, a motivating, energetic time with all these kind of crazy ideas swirling around in both your heads of what could be achieved. And you're doing the job you love as well. It's a win-win. Oh, it was a it was a dream come true. Remember, I said 15 years or 12 years earlier was one of the dreams. At that point, I am realizing oh, the dream has come true without even knowing it was just the beginning. It was yeah. just the beginning, you know. So uh, that, that that was uh, really special. So I go back in time and I think about things like the ones we're discussing. And I'm like, wow, being so fortunate, being so lucky. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the Ford years that kicked off in, in 2010, the swap to, to Ford and more WRC events becoming far more consistently on our championship calendar because it was it was sporadic that we would see you appearing. And then all of a sudden it was here we go. Um, it's almost a complete season within WRC from 2010. That was an exciting change. And how aware of you of that, that that was taking place? How much did, did Ken share with, with the plans that were happening? He shared them quite early, actually, because, again, he knew the people that he wanted to take on board with this big deal with Ford. And the contract with Ford was a big contract. And, and Monster Energy liked that. And everybody else that was associated with that, it was, a, it was a power machine there. A lot of corporate names involved with this person that had just... Uh, invented this media machine that had not been seen in our sport since no. the the 80s since the, since the you know the the cigarette sponsors you know what i mean those were the last big contracts in our sport you know the the 2000s were struggling a little bit when the cigarette sponsors went away but all of a sudden you got this person that is able to to put together budgets and do it right and i'm in the middle of it i'm part of that and so the year before he shared that um, plan with uh, Derek Donsi, that was our team manager for so many years, and myself. Uh, and he said to me, look, in six months from now, I'm going to make a switch from uh, from Subaru to Ford. And this is going to be big because there is plans you know, to do more gym kind of videos. But then again, because Ford is so active 
in the World Championship, we will be doing a contract with M-Sport and we will be competing in the World Championship with the best cars that the sport has to offer. And the focus back then had just won a couple of World Championships. So it was truly yeah. the best machine you could put yourself in. So the level of excitement was very high. And I remember speaking to my business partner at that point. I still had a business. I said, you know what? I've been offered a contract for 2010 that is a very good contract. I'm going to be among the top five paid co-drivers in the world. And uh, you want to buy my 50%? And he said, yes. So there was a great way to end that period of a business owner and moving mentally and, and you know physically into the pro full pro co-drivers. That Let's be honest, only few of us in the world I've had the privilege to do this as a job. And yeah. uh, so I, I, I felt very fortunate and very privileged. Truly a dream come true. What was the family thinking at this point? Seeing your success, seeing what you were doing, the fact that you are more than supporting yourself, you're becoming this international success. What were they thinking at home? Well, I, I got to be honest, Beck, uh, the family never really understood uh, what that was all about. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I mean, my, my family is, a, is, a, is a great people, but my parents were kids during World War II. Uh, I mean, my dad is now 90 years old and mom is 82. So they come from a mentality where like, you know, my mom until a couple of years ago told me, I believe once we were at dinner, said, Alex, when are you going to get a real job? I mean, how do you pay your bills and everything? So the, the explanation is just too complicated. But personally, uh, that took a strain on, on my previous marriage, you know, because I, I started as, you know, that previous marriage of mine, it was just a normal husband-wife situation. But all the, all the sudden, I become a, a pro athlete. So that didn't, that didn't quite work with my previous marriage. And that marriage ended up, you know, disappearing, unfortunately. And uh, uh, but then for the better a few years later. So uh, it's it's a big change. It's a great question back then. It's a big change in your life. Like I said, my, my direct family didn't quite understand what I was doing and they didn't really need to understand it. Uh, but my marriage took a bit of a toll on it. And, uh, but that's fine. You know, it, it happens in life. You got to make sacrifices. Yeah, and I, th I think you do. I think any of us, you know, you're, you know, an athlete. I'm a journalist. It's very different. But... I'm still traveling a huge amount and it does, you know, anyone that travels and is making a commitment to something else and this sport is quite a commitment, it does take a strain on, on relationships and, uh, you know, that I think that's evident in uh, all of us who, who you know, choose to, to work within it. And as well, for the understanding of family and friends around you, there are still some of my very good friends who are still perplexed as to what I do for a living. And I'm sure there are some still for you as well, maybe at home who are like, yeah, he does something with reading stuff from books in a car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it's all about. To a point, to a point that some of them start thinking there is something dodgy going on, right? <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing dodgy going on. It is what it is. You guys don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's good, though, that, you know, you you were happy, very happy with your life in 2010 and, and things are, you know, escalating massively. Now you're you're competing a lot more in the Ford Focus, which is an incredible car. Um, and you're part of the, the Ford team, the Ford family. That's that's insane. You know, it, 
if you go back to you sitting on your bed reading your rally magazines as a as a youngster and then you know you fast forward 20 years later less than that and this is where you are that's quite the step it's amazing it's simply amazing and i must say everybody in the wrc was very welcoming of us you know we 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 felt right at home everybody was happy to see us because you know americans in wrc is like Remember the Jamaican team that did Bob Sledding? You know, they, <laughs> yes. they don't belong there. They don't belong there, but we were there. So everybody was happy to see this. Can we call it a novelty? You know, the, a different <laughs> thing of an American team competing, competing in WRC. So um, from and sports, media, and press to the fans, it was good. And Ken did this in his very flamboyant way. Incredible liveries, you know, um, just videos and a great way that uh, then set the, the, the trend for what it will become normal uh, social media and, and videos and uh, trends nowadays. So it was yeah. great to, to see that, to witness that. Yeah, you mentioned a, a name uh, a couple of minutes ago, which I want to bring in, and that's Derek Dornsey. Because I knew Derek before, of course, he worked for Vermont Sports Car and, and then for, for Ken when he was team manager at Mitsubishi. And, you know, we used to interview him regularly on the radio and and then things changed for him. He went to America and and again, he's become one of the names that when you say Ken Block, it's like oh, Alex Yosemino, Derek Dauncey. But Derek always that kind of figure that's very much in the background, but such a guiding light out in front. How much of an influence was was Derek with you with with his years of experience as well in the sport? It was huge. It was huge because I was aware of his background and, and experience. And again, when he started working with us, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. This is going to be something that allows Ken of us to move into the next level. And he became such a foundation of Ken's operation. Not only, not only just rallying, but he would manage everything, you know, from the budgets, you know, to the to the Gymkhana videos, to the relationships with the uh, manufacturers and, and, and so on. So uh, it was one of those things that it was great to witness because I felt that the trust that Ken had in me as a co-driver, Alex has got a covered. All I need to do is just co-driving. He had the same level of trust in Derek when he came to managing our campaigns and to managing our, our, our efforts from testing yeah. to full events and dealing with M-Sport and all that. So when you do it at that level, but you need that sort of support. It's critical. So to have that is someone like Derek is what allowed us to make it happen, really. Mm. Alex, bizarre question now, but you know, I'm just thinking of you and Ken together in the car. And, okay, we saw you on many WRC events, and some of those we'll talk about now, that, that the highlights for you over the years. But, you know, you spend a lot of time with someone. You're, you're wrecking with them. You're on road sections and on WRC events. Some of them, for example, can be exceptionally long road sections. What was the relationship like when you were in the car? Were, were, you, were you quite chatty together? Were you quite quiet? Were you listening to music? What were you doing? It was a combination of everything. Um, Ken and I, uh, it's, the characters were very similar. So uh, we enjoyed a good chat. We enjoyed to talk, but also we enjoyed to be left alone at some, some point. So sometimes during the day. So we realized when that was the time, we didn't even need to tell each other. I knew when he needed a space and I, he knew when he needed to leave me alone because I was either busy or I was, you know, uh, working on stuff. And uh, But at the same time, uh, we're, we're 
similar age, you know, Ken was in the mid fifties when he passed away. I just turned 50. So similar interests when he came to music and things like that. But then again, as a good co-driver, I would understand more and more what is precisely what his interest in music were. And I made sure that I liked that music. So when I had my podcast, because the deal was where whoever is driving the recce car or the rental car going from the airport is managing the radio as well. Even though it's sometimes he wanted to change my ideas, you know, but I adapted to his uh, taste of music. Uh, and as well as conversation, again, I, I've worked uh, over the years with drivers that are much younger than me. And, and although I love those people and, and, I, and, and enjoy being in the car with, with them, the, there is a situation for me that I'd rather work and being in the car with someone that is a similar age as me because, again, we share the same interests. Yeah. Music, you know, um, talks that we can have. So we had some great conversations that went from religion to politics, you know, like, and he would really get into it. And, and, and it was great to understand the point of view and the opinions of someone that was so successful and experienced. And, again, I felt that my character kept evolving and molding later in my years even up in my 30s and, and late 30s I, and early 40s my character kept evolving and improving I would like to say thanks to spending all those hours next in, next to Ken and you know road sections and recce days and things like that so I learned a lot from it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you know that the feeling was was mutual it was vice versa. Talk to me about the highlights of the years competing in the WRC Alex. What what stands out for you? Uh, the highlights. Uh, I like to say the highlights of competing um, in rallying in general. Uh, we come from a country that unfortunately was a bit late with the introduction of uh, reconnaissance, you know, and two pass recce and everything. And unfortunately, people drivers like Travis and Ken found themselves in the midst of that change, you know, going from no recce to recce. So mm. in the mid 2000s, we were still behind here in North America. And I feel, I firmly believe back that those two drivers ended up paying the price a little bit for that. You know, extremely talented, both of them. But when I eventually got to WRC and you go and compete against the French drivers and the, the Scandinavians and everything that they've done recce and pace notes since they were 15 years old. And those guys, they did it later in their career. And that's such a complicated process. They ended up paying the price a little bit. So I am always very proud. Ken was, was like, oh, because he was always an overachiever. He always said, oh, we could have done better, you know, during the WRC year and everything. But I think we did a bloody good job, you know. And uh, coming from a country that had not much of a rally history and, again, struggling with no ending recce earlier in their career or at least two past recce. Uh, and as far as results, to me, and a highlight will be, Every time we would go to a country that we had not much of experience and and putting together a good result, I remember 2011 we're doing WRC France, you know, stuff, and um, and we are having a a big battle for the bottom of the top ten, eighth, ninth, and and tenth overall against uh, drivers that, in my opinion, were fantastic drivers. You know, Armindo Araujo had just had been crowned. The production world champion a couple of years prior, definitely much more experienced than Ken. And young um, French driver that FFSA was putting a lot of trust in it was Pierre Campana. I don't know if you remember him yeah, driving remember, the Mini, yeah. the Pro Drive Mini. And we're having the battle with those two guys. And here's the American driver that goes on tarmac and ends up beating them. And yeah, we finished only eight. 
but to me, that was such an highlight in a top five stage times in France in conditions. Again, we don't have tarmac in, in American rallying. So to me, that was an highlight, you know, but also going um, to events uh, where we had um, no experience, like going to Barbados a few years ago and winning the event. You know, Barbados is such a place where the, the local drivers have so much knowledge. You know, it's a, such a specialized event with the way the stages are, how dirty they get and all that. And winning that event was a career highlight for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and as far as WRC, obviously, seventh place in Mexico it was such a good results in my eyes because Mexico is so difficult. Ninth place at WRC in New Zealand, competing against like someone like Manfred Stoll. Manfred Stoll was doing WRC events when I was still in school. So uh, I remember competing against Manfred and Ilkite and beating them, you know, and uh, and I, I can't probably even know who Manfred Stoll was while I was competing against him, but I knew. And I was like, this is freaking cool. This is awesome. So and lots of overall wins in national level, but these are the experience that are the highlight for me in WRC and also international events like Barbados, you know, going to Rally Legend in Italy and, and doing so well. And okay, it's a show event, but trust me, when you are Ken Block and you go to Italy, no one cares about the show. The people that, that we were competing against, you know, former legends like Franco Cunico, mm. Renato Travaglia, they're in the same class with you. Those guys don't care about show. They want to beat you, and Ken wants to beat him. And so ended up winning twice a rally legend. A lot of people think that we there, went there for sure. No, we just won, won the event because we went fast for two days of racing. It was just amazing. It was really good. I think you've had some some really you know fabulous experiences. And I, it, we mentioned when we kind of started this call, we haven't seen each other for you know a couple of years. And the last time I would have seen you would have been in Barbados in 2020. Yep when you won right, and, right, and I remember yeah. you know we had we had a fantastic event just before the rally began where we had that forum on on an evening okay, at a dealership yeah. you and you and Ken and we live streamed it and we chatted for about an hour and it was so interesting to hear both of you talk about your careers and and more interesting in a way was you know what was coming next and and Ken talked a lot about his family and the, you know the family were there they came to the island as well why not it's Barbados you come for a holiday yeah. and he talked a lot about you know the the fact that you know the family were going to be competing and and that is coming into fruition which we'll talk about in, in a little while I wanted to bring up um the Cozy World Tour as well because that took the the Cosworth to, to Mexico to Rally Mexico it came to Mexico <laughs> and I met you in Donegal as well when you did that event yes, that's right yeah um and I, I think it was it was fascinating in Ireland because you know it was a lot of oh Ken Block is coming coming to the you know coming to Donegal and you know there were the people who were massive supporters of Ken and then the ones saying oh he'll be in a ditch after 500 meters and all the rest of it which is the same for so many so many drivers but it was the reaction I couldn't get over. Every time, you know, the Cozy would emerge anywhere, there were just so many people running towards it. So many people in the service area. The support for you guys was massive. And again, it's this energy that seemed to surround the both of you wherever you went. Yes, I agree 100%. And again, we just mentioned the Cozy, which was a genius idea from Ken. Again, it was such a clever marketing idea. You take an iconic car from the 90s and you make it special, you make it wider, you make it meaner and everything. 
sponsors loved us. The fans loved us. And it was such a great car. You know, we went to New Zealand and, uh, and we had some issues there. But as soon as we put that car on tarmac, the car performed really well. Really enjoyed it. It was Ken's probably one of his favorite rally cars. And when the, the deal with Ford expired, all the Fords were sold because Ken wasn't a collector of cars. You know, he didn't collect things, but he kept two cars. He kept the Mustang, which was an amazing Jim Carrey car, and the Cosy. The Cosy is still in the, in the shop and it belongs to the, to the Block family. And I have a feeling that one day we'll see one of the kids driving that car. You know, yeah. just but like you said, like you said, it was a, it was a, a special to go to those places. And Donegal, we were talking about a few minutes ago going to New Zealand and getting our ass kicked and learning. Donegal was the same thing. You go to Donegal, don't, you don't go to win in Donegal. You go to Donegal to go get your ass kicked and learn and become a better competitor. That's why you go to Donegal. Yeah, and enjoy it. I mean, some fantastic yeah. stages there. And yeah, it was... Uh, and passion. It was a, yeah, absolutely. By yeah. the bucket Incredible. load there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you, you know, Ken and yourself picked some fantastic events. Um, you mentioned Barbados again. Such passion. Small island, tiny island. But nearly single, every person on there is a rally fan. I, I, I think I was blown away the first time I went there, which was back in 2015. I just couldn't believe my eyes looking at all these spectators out on the stages their pickup trucks sofas in the pickup trucks optics so they could have a little bit of rum as they're watching <laughs> the rally cars go fast they love it there um yeah it, it, it was a great experience i love being at the stage end in barbados to congratulate you both because as you said that was something special because there's not many drivers that can put Rally Barbados on their CV. It's such a specialist event. And you have the locals who have the knowledge, the local Caribbean drivers who have the knowledge, or some of the European guys who've been going there for years. But no, it was Mr. Block who'd had not such success the last time he was there in Barbados. But yeah, Alex, I mean, it, it's been obviously an incredible run of success with Ken and then the, the horrible, horrible news of the start of this year, which I think shocked every single person around the world. It's been a couple of months since then, but it's it's still quite strange to even say he's not here anymore. How are you feeling about it all now? Uh, look, it's, it's been a bit surreal. And uh, I mean, we're now a little over three months, I think so, no, about three months into this. Um, and and sad to say this, we're starting to get used to it. But at first it was just surreal and, and it made us realize, you know, I spoke to Derek about anarchy and Derek's eyes, you know, you realize the, the importance this person had in our lives, you know, and um, sometimes you finish the rally and you're like, oh, I can't wait, I've been spending the week next to this person, I can't wait to go home and take a break for the next two, three weeks, you know, but then something like this happened, you know, and a person goes and uh, you realize that, man, it was so, so important in my life. And, and since it's been gone, it's been like, um, I, I, I'm different. I feel different. And it, it left a massive hole. Mm. But I told, I told Rihanna a few weeks ago and I, someone else was asking me. And I said, look, at the end of the day, we're going to be okay. We will be okay because we have the memories, you know, the experiences, you know, the, the, everything we've done together, we've been privileged, you know. Uh, my heart goes to, obviously, the kids. It's, it's 
so unfair to to lose your mother or father at that young age you know the 11 13 and 16 and so uh, when i feel sad and when i feel you know upset about i think about these kids and i realize that you know they needed more than i did i was privileged to spend all that time sitting next to them but he's had a, a, a huge effect on the family and i love you know watching the Instagram posts, which Lucy, his wife, will, will put up about, okay, daily life is, is continuing on, even though they're trying to get used to the loss. But they're, they're getting on with their lives as much as they can. The influence of Ken and his positivity. And I think that's maybe one thing that I took away from him, Alex, was he was such a positive person. He saw things on sometimes a bit of a different plane than the rest of us because he could always see a solution for something. There was never a roadblock. There's always some way to get through. And it feels like that's passed on to them in a way because that is what they're doing now. They're trying to move forward without any roadblocks and trying to navigate grief. And it, it's a difficult thing and it lasts well, it, it indefinitely. Um, we've all experienced it in, in some way, shape or form. But his legacy is huge and it continues in them. And you've been competing alongside Lucy. You've been co-driving for Lucy recently, yes? Yes, we've done our first event together. We'll be doing the American Championship together. So, uh, um, yes, absolutely. What you what you say, Bex, and uh, it's something that I gotta give credit to to the family and especially to Lucy for uh, realizing what you just said, uh, what you just said, and and just carrying on as quickly as possible because these kids need uh, what our sport gives us. You know, the sport of rallying is an amazing an amazing sport to be part of it. and those kids being part of our sport that their dad loves so much uh they're gonna become real men and women you know they're gonna learn true grit because that's what our sport of rally teaches us you know and uh, uh ken will be so proud to see what we did two three weeks ago um like would you know lucy and i competing together and Rhiannon and Leah competing together. And Leah is at a stage, I mean, she's a 16-year-old. It's such a critical time. But we think, and Lucy knows that, we think that uh, the sport of rallying can give these kids, uh, can help them move forward from this tragedy that has taken their dad away. And they do it also knowing how much can love rally how much he lo- the enjoyment that he got and they those kids they grew up in service parks events all over the world and everything they realize it yeah no i remember them fondly at many events over the years running around and and i go back to that forum we did in, in barbados and, and ken mentioning you know the future and he talked about leah and the fact that you know she was very into her cars and she wanted to pursue a, a career in rallying and and, you know, here we are and she is behind the wheel and she's 16 years of age. And it's an exciting time to, you know, to see that happening and and to see that develop. Uh, yeah. And Rhiannon's alongside her. So Rhiannon Gelsomino, co-driver, the Gelsomino name continues on with the blocks. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story because Ken hired Rhiannon two weeks before he passed away. So I remember few days went by after Ken passed and Derek asked me the question, okay, it looks like the family is going to continue rallying. Like, are you going to um, sit next to Lydia? And I don't know if Derek was aware of that deal that 
the Ken and Rihanna made yet. And I said, no, you know, because Ken wanted Rihanna to be in the car because, you know, she's, she's the right profile to be sitting and, and co-driving for Leah because, you know, she's a former teacher and she has dealt with, with kids that age and, and, mm. and she's also an excellent co-driver and can, can realize that. That's why you hired her to be in that car. And obviously he has a fantastic event, you know, two weeks ago in Missouri and, and uh, that kid was smiling for the entire week and especially when she was in the rally car she was having a great time because Rihanna knows how to handle uh, that situation so uh and I'll, I will obviously you know co-drive for Lucy because it's the right thing to do it's great that she wants to have this farewell here you know she she, she will do uh, this year competing next to her daughter as a teammate and uh, I'll be co-driving for Lucy yes emotional and and things like that there is a lot um, going on Honestly, it's the best way to honor Ken and to carry on with the legacy. The family knows that. Derek knows that. The fans, we all know that. So, and everybody, the words of support and 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 the people being there and just smiling at us or just shaking our hands and say we're here to support you. It's been incredible. Mm. Exceeded our expectations. Incredible. Yeah. It, it is an incredible community, though, within rallying, isn't it? I mean, it's the, the, I, I've never experienced it, and I've covered a lot of sports in my career, but I've never experienced anything quite like the community within rallying. It is, yes, I, I'm glad to hear that because I know you have experience. You've worked in the Olympics and you work in other areas of sports and everything. So to hear you saying that makes mm. me feel really good and enforces what I knew. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, what is in in the direct future for you? Obviously, competing again—I was going to say against Lucy, with Lucy this year yeah. in the car. What else is happening in Alex Gelsomino's life this year? Uh, this year, uh, look, what happened last week? Rihanna competing in in Tasmania with a young up-and-coming co-driver. I, I would like to do more of that. You know, I. That I have achieved everything I wanted in our sports. I can tell you 100%. You know, so I was thinking, what do I go, what do I do next? You know, I, I'm too old to find another career. I'm gonna stick to go driving for a few more years <laughs> than I'll retire. So, uh, but what has given me reward in the last few years is working with drivers and helping progress them and 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 witnessing that progression. That is very rewarding to me, as rewarding as. Uh, um, competing and winning you know a couple of years ago um i did a rally with a british driver his name is kyle tilly you know that comes from endurance racing and i remember working with kyle and and doing an event and some practice and everything and and then going and winning a tough event in in canada on snow among you know canadian former champions and everything uh, and that was so rewarding not just for the win but to see the progression of taking someone that is new to the sport uh, that comes from a different discipline or skiing, you know, mountain biking or, you know, other type of racing and putting them into our sport that is so difficult, it's so complicated and helping them succeed. Uh, that is very rewarding. And I think I will keep doing that. You know, uh, Rhiannon is probably on the same page, although she's about seven years behind as far as career time goes. So she'll probably still be chasing um, uh, maybe factory drives and things like that. You know, it could be a possibility that Travis Pastrana comes back in the future, you know, and, and they work really well together. And obviously, young Leah, uh, she's now competing in rallying. You know, we'll see where the future 
you know, she may want to try something else. She may want to try open wheel racing at some point, you know, uh, she's, it's a bit too early to determine, you know, Oh, you have to do this. That's the direction she will do what she wants to do. So yes, that's, that's what I have at this point in my career. I've been lucky mostly thanks to Ken to accumulate a level of experience as a co-driver that, uh, um, no many co-drivers in the world that, you know, so I'm going to use that experience to, uh, keep doing what I'm doing, but also I would love to help progress people, uh, with our training, you know, with, with the rallying and, and working with drivers that they don't have to necessarily have to be young drivers, but they can be drivers that are new into a sport and want to progress and do well. Yeah. And I think that's, it's really critical that you, you and Rhea have set up this, this training camp which has been going for how many years now? Because I, 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 I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> how many ten years? years. Ten years, really? Ten, nearly 10 years, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's the ability for, you know, co-drivers to come sit with you and, and get the full training in what is needed from a co-driver. Correct, and it's not just the co-driver. Um, like, we also train drivers to make them understand the correct procedures and creating the correct pace notes. Next week, uh, we're training for two days, two young um, Australian drivers that are very promising. At the, and I'm looking forward to work with them next week here in Australia. And uh, uh, yeah, look, it's been, it started a little side jig. You know, uh, we, we wanted to, okay, if there is some holes in our calendar and events, mm -hmm. the weeks that we have available, let's offer training, which is the same thing I've done with Phil, with Chris and Yakion Khan. And you know, there was, the idea was the same. But then it became so busy. So in 10 years, there's been nearly 500 students. So we can't ignore that side of, uh, of, of the business. You know, it's been quite good, but at the same time, very rewarding as well. Yeah. And many drivers that have the, uh, the, the meanings of competing properly, they train with us, but also we co-drive for them for a couple of events to bring them up to speed. And then we put them... Uh, you know, we partner them with some of our best co-drivers we train. So it's been quite a, a good chain reaction and, and opportunities that I've created. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy about th that program exists. Obviously, Rihanna was a teacher by trade. I became more of a teacher over the last so, few years. So has she, she given you a few tips on how to teach? Yes, she has. <laughs> yes. And I wasn't a teacher, you know, but now... Uh, I'm able, we, we complement each other when we train people, you know, and, and, and it works really well. I'm so proud. It's a program that has got 100% positive feedback. You know, we, we haven't had a negative feedback when we send evaluation for several years. And we progress as teachers. We, this program becomes better and better, but it makes me really proud. Yeah, look, teaching is difficult. It's hard work. Uh, when the customer leaves and, and then they go and, and say good things about you and they achieve good results. It's so rewarding. Mm. So when is the next rally for you now in America? Uh, well, I, I think I will focus a little bit in America and Australia at this point. So we're doing uh, the third round of the American Championship, which is the Olympus Rally, a classic event. It used to be a WRC yeah. event in Washington State. From there, we do Oregon, and then we move to the East Coast here in North America. And I believe we will be back for the Australian Championship uh, for the rounds in uh, um Queensland and, and, and Canberra, I believe, you know, so we have to look at the schedules. But it's gonna be another busy year. Yeah, if it's not busy, we'll make it busy. You know, there is opportunities, you know, so yeah. And finally, Alex, how, how much would you like to see a WRC event hitting the American shores again? 
I would love to, because we have witnessed countries that have got the WRC events, uh, like you know Australia, New Zealand, um, and some others, and I may forgetting, and that has helped uh, their national championship development mm. and improving as 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 at a whole. So if we get a WRC event in America, we will improve rallying in America. And that's something that I always wanted. You know, it's something that I would love to see America progressing, you know, um, and becoming a better series, you know, with more experienced competitors, more experienced marshals and organizers and things like that. If we can get a, a WRC event in North America, in the U.S., I think that will help our sport here. I think we will. Hopefully, the people that are behind are uh, doing a good job because it's such a huge market. You know, the, the people at Hyundai, the people at Toyota, uh, at M Sport realize how critical this market is for their sponsors and uh, for the manufacturers behind. So it will be great if we can. Yeah, I really would. That's that happens in the in the next few years, Alex. It, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you i i've learned so much sat here and i i think everyone who's listening as well will walk away thinking oh i didn't know that about alex chelsea <laughs> it's been really thank lovely you very to much for up. taking the time thank no you. I, it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you alex and good luck this season thank you and looking forward to see you at an event at some point soon we haven't we haven't met you know at an event it's been like you said a few years it's yeah. been too long. It's been too long. Well, <laughs> you let me know when you're coming to an event and we will definitely have a catch-up. Thanks, Alex. Thank you very much. For more great World Rally Championship content, head to WRC+. And it's thousands of hours of archive footage and exclusive live programming, event review shows and extensive onboards. Special features, too, on some of the legends of the sport. This is all available at wrcplus.com, the digital online home. World Rally Championship.